See, I had a moment during, while I was watching uh, the Bread and Circuses episode uh, this week, and I realized that the good days of Star Trek are over, aren't they? We're not going to get any more classic episodes. There's not going to be another City on the Edge of Forever or Tribbles or an iMud. Like, the show, it, the, Bread and Circuses is probably the best that the show is going to get from here on out, right? More or less. There, no, I mean, there are a couple of good episodes in the third season. Um, I, I wouldn't say that there are any classic episodes in the third season, at least not that I can think of. Uh, there, there's a, there's one coming up in a couple of weeks that is that is quite good, and that's generally looked at as one of the best of the third season, but that's like episode six out of 24. Yeah. Like... And most of the... The, the, the third mm-hmm. season in general is, is, is a mixed bag. So, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, like... Bread and Circuses wasn't a bad episode, but it was a very formula Star Trek episode. And I just, it, it, it's when you realize that, okay, this is pretty much what this is going to be from here on out. And now I can accept it and I can move on. Well, I think Bread and Circuses is, is an interesting episode for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, it's again, it's another one that's written by, by Gene Roddenberry this season, our, our third. Oh God, really? Yeah. It was, okay, but... that makes so much sense then. But it was written by Gene Roddenberry uh, with a teleplay by Gene Roddenberry and Gene L. Kuhn. So I think it's better mm. than the other two mm. that he wrote, A Private Little War and The Omega Glory. It's certainly better than The Omega Glory, even though it has some of the same problems as that episode. Now, which one was A Private Little War again? That a was... Private Little War was the one that had way too much plot. It had the, the giant uh, Space Yeti. It had the, the war with the, with the Klingons. Mm. The, all that stuff, okay. right? The, the 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 shaman woman and all that kind of stuff. Oh God, yeah, that one. Yeah, and Omega Glory was the America one, right? So, you know, Gene Roddenberry is basically what he's got about a. Let's say if you're, I don't follow baseball, but if I understand how this works, I think he's batting about a five hundred, because we've seen six episodes that, he, that he's written, and three of them are, are okay. Uh, actually, I guess that's more like a six fifty. Yeah, I was gonna say whatever, that's not but, like you know, it's not like he's getting home runs half of the time. He's like bunting and like getting to first base you know which what, gene roddenberry apparently loved to do what, whatever we can say about the cage and the menagerie they are not what i would call classic episodes of star trek the cage is, is okay the menagerie is all right Better. but it's also kind of boring because the large stretches of it are just clips from the cage it has more to do with the fact that it was a pilot than it was you know any quality of the episode sure um, and, and so Bread and Circus is really, I think, has similar problems to the Omega Glory because, again, the parallel, uh, you know, alternative Earth sort of thing doesn't really work. It's not – unlike Patterns of Force or um, – Miri had the alternate Earth. Is that the one you're thinking of? No, not Miri. Miri wasn't really in parallel Earth. But it, it actually was. If you remember the beginning, they come, come upon the planet and then they're like, whoa, this is exactly like Earth. And that's all they – like this is this, this is one of a few not Earth culture but a literal – you know, because well, well, they talk about how the planet at the very beginning is – you know, they talk about the size, the atmosphere and all of those things. And they have a very similar sequence at the beginning of Miri. Well, I will say there's, there's a difference there with Miri and some of the other episodes from the second season because in Miri – the episode wasn't necessarily about that. It was just a way to quickly explain why they were using a Paramount backlot as a set. But with episodes like A Piece of the Action, Patterns of Force, oh, yeah, The there's... Omega Glory, there's much more of an explicit, this is an alternate parallel development of Earth thing. And in Bread and Circuses, Spock even says something about like the Hodgkin Law of parallel development, yes. just to kind of explain it a little bit. And unlike a piece of the action in Patterns of Force, and like the Omega Glory, Bread and Circuses presents us with a Earth-like culture that developed parallel to Earth without any sort of interference from the Federation. Which, in the Omega Glory, I found problematic because it's incredibly, incredibly stupid that a planet would develop exactly as Earth and Russia would have, complete with an an exact copy of the Declaration of Independence (laughs) and the Constitution. And in Bread and Circuses, it's a problem because it's incredibly, incredibly logical that a planet would develop a Roman civilization exactly as it was on Earth. And then it doesn't fall for 2,000 years, and they have television, they have cars, they have everything at exactly the same moment in their development as they would have if Rome hadn't fallen. (laughs) Because, of course, if Rome hadn't fallen, we wouldn't have had you know, four to 500 years of lax scientific discovery. And uh, you can kind of make the argument, yeah. at least with bread and circuses, that they should be more advanced than the, than the yeah, Federation. Or differently, like, again, it, you know, whoever, you know, the 
the scientific advances which led to television were, you know, products of their own social time. So the situation which led to, you know, whoever invented the television screen, you know, those would he would have not have invented the screen at that point in time. So, yeah, it would have been – and they even mentioned something similar to that on the um, – Maybe it was Private Little War where uh, they, they have – you know, they're saying, oh, the guns, you know, they're not advanced enough for those. And, you know, so I want to say it's Yahur even says, you know, well, they don't necessarily have to have invented weaponry in the same order we invented them. You know, they could ha- – you know, it's probably not likely, but it's theoretically possible for someone to come up with the atom bomb before the gun. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, maybe in, in the Planet and Bread and Circuses they, they had come up with television before radio or something. It's, you know, we yeah. don't know. but. Yeah, it, this this entire thing was extremely unfocused. Like, I, I, I okay, when you well, see, I'd seen you know Roman Empire in the you know, and I'm like, okay, when I saw Julius Caesar once with my parents, they took me to see it, and I was expecting togas, and they did the Nazis version of that staging, and I was really pissed because I didn't get togas. And the same thing, you tell me that you're gonna have you know the Roman Empire, and they're wearing like stormtrooper uniforms, and it's like. I wanted a toga, just one. You know, you could put the emperor in a toga, and that's fine, like, as a symbol, but just give me one toga, and no one did. Yeah, and I mean— I was not happy. That could have just been they they didn't have any in props, you know? Like, that. that's just one of those things that they didn't want to do. I mean, I don't yes, know. Yes, nowhere in, the, you know, a television studio did they have an extra bed sheet. <laughs> Maybe they were all filming Spartacus at the same time, and they were all being used. I don't know. Um— yeah, and, and the thing about Bread and Circuses is that it's not a very well-constructed episode because the 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 Captain Garrick, who decides to become the proconsul of this Roman Empire, it, it doesn't even really seem to explain why he does it. And there are no reasons given other than, well, they were going to be killing my crew, so I decided to become the second-in-command of this horrible empire. Yeah, it's one of those, like, okay, so so you have the guy who's the Roman Empire in this. And he's a very—I find him an interesting character because— he is, you know. I'm glad somebody does. If we're going, well, if we're morally at least, if we're going by D and D character alignments, you know, this empire is lawful evil. They are, you know, doing things we would consider bad, but he is treating everybody equally under the law. He tells at one point, you know, when Kirk has, you know, attacked, you know, tried to escape and all of that, you know, the emperor genuinely feel when he says, you know, I give you one last night as a man, you know, I very much respect you, like. I believe him. I think he genuinely does realize, no, Kirk is a really competent person, an excellent captain, you know, would be, you know, the Emperor seems almost sad that they're enemies. If there were some way of, you know, within the legal system, you know, giving Kirk a state of execution, I guarantee he would have done that as the Emperor. But he doesn't because everybody needs to follow these same laws. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like things like that make me feel very you know, is what's interesting. The fact that they talk about how the institution of slavery has changed very much in this, and they're saying you know slaves have health care, you know they get a retirement, you know when they reach a certain age, they you know they have all these different, they have more rights under or, the law or in than, the very quaint sixties way, Spock says they get old age pensions, which yeah. I thought was great. <laughs> but yeah, there's you know. And, and knowing, you know, it, slavery under the Roman Empire was not race-based. It was based on you know, who you conquered. And, right. you know, I, I had a professor who called it equal opportunity slavery, you know. what? And so it would make sense that a society which had slavery as a thing would eventually become enlightened not to necessarily free them but to treat them well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and you have gladiatorial combat, which still existed as a thing. And... Yeah, and I, guess, I mean, I guess that's an, that's an interesting concept, and I think maybe if that episode had based on that instead, yeah. but you, you can't really make a, 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 an episode that is sort of, like, neutral about slavery, especially no. not in the 60s. And so of course not. That, that's a problem, but I think maybe that would have been a more interesting episode and it would have been a stronger hook to hang the episode on because – you do get this sense that when the episode starts, you're going to get a very different episode than you actually do. Which does happen in Star Trek a lot, I will say. And we always talked about that, and that's one of the things I appreciate. Yeah, but, but but the only problem is in Bread and Circuses, the episode that we get, I think, is less interesting than the one that we were set up to yeah, get. Yeah, there's Because what I, you know, what I was thinking um, is you're going to get an episode where they beam down and they encounter this resistance force of, of slaves that have escaped because of whatever reasons. And... 
then it just becomes, you know, and so I think, oh, we're going to get this thing where another episode, and they mentioned the Prime Directive at one point, which they sort of drop entirely. And again, it's Gene Roddenberry. So I think yeah. he just needed to put that in there in every single script he wrote. And so you get this thing where I think, oh, he's going to talk about the Prime Directive and he's going to talk about this is a stagnant society and it's okay for them to help to free the, the slaves because they need to go back on a more normal course of yeah. societal evolution. And instead, the episode we get is a pretty straightforward action-adventure episode where Kirk, Spock, and McCoy run around with guns and in funny outfits, fighting in gladiatorial things and having these like sort of maudlin but boring talks with, with Captain Merrick. Yeah. See, I, I didn't... Okay, so... What the episode seems to explain is his Captain Merrick's ship crashes or something or malfunction or whatever. He's stuck on this planet. And the Emperor, you know, he talks to the Emperor, explains, you know, where they are, what they're from. And the Emperor says, okay, that's fine. But if, you know, it's widely found out that your men are from another planet, you know, that's going to cause a panic. That's going to be. And so they stay on and, you know, whoever his men are killed in gladiatorial combat as you know, for breaking whatever rules in the society, you know, but he's managed to be this second in command. So my question is why they, so it it essentially implies that if they, this ship were to be repaired or take off that everybody would know and it was, would cause a panic, but they don't really explain that as to why the, uh, the enterprise is still docked. Like, you know, he could just as, there's no real reason why the enterprise can't Right, right. They, they could very easily have caused some sort of distraction, you know, if the Emperor were willing to work with them. I don't – he just kind of keeps them on because there would be no episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Well, I think it's interesting, I think, right, because they do have that scene where, where Kirk uh, – basically it's set up where, where uh, Merrick is telling them that the Emperor wants him to give the order to beam down all his crew because they want to fight in the gladiatorial combats and everything, and that's all fine as far as it goes. And Kirk does this thing where he basically says, oh, everything's condition green. Yeah. You know, and that's actually code for, hey, we're in a shitstorm, but don't do anything. Um, and Scotty interprets that in an interesting way where he says, well, I can't take any direct action to save them, but I'm going to black out the entire planet for 30 seconds. And they take, of course, they take advantage of that yeah. and they eventually get away. And at the very end of the episode... Merrick does sacrifice himself to have Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beamed back up to the Enterprise. Yes. So it is a nice little symmetry there. Could you get the sense that he's Merrick has thought that he was doing the right thing, but the way the Emperor, you know, when he says to Kirk, you know, you're a man, you know, he's very obviously with the implication of, you know, and Merrick isn't, you know, he's, you know, just kind of a lackey, he's a wuss. And well, there's even that there's even that line where Merrick says, "Oh, I'm the captain of a spaceship, but." Kirk is the captain of a starship yeah. and like you don't want to fuck with him because they are the best of the best, the, the 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 highest of the highest and he is not someone you want to mess with. Yeah, you rightly as it turns out. And they're told, yeah, we're told that Merrick couldn't become a starship captain because it's something like he had a split second of uh indecision and you know, you can't do that if you're in which I've been saying, you know, you don't get to be Kirk, you don't get to have Star Trek made about you unless you are 100% on all the time. Yeah, yeah. This is another captain we're seeing who is Kirk, but not as perfect. Yeah. You know, Kirk having made a mistake. And that's really a distinction, starship versus spaceship, that, that I don't really think Star Trek ever really goes back to. And I'm just kind of curious as to what spaceships do. I, I'd assume spaceships travel within a galaxy, within a solar system. Uh, a starship can travel from solar system to solar system. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, how would they get there in the first place? What do you mean? Like, no, like, you need both of them. Oh. Uh, yeah, like, within a solar system, you know, somebody who's just ferrying people from planet to planet, or, you know, I can think of a dozen reasons why you would need, you know, probably a spaceship is cheaper to build. You know, you don't need as highly trained people. You probably don't need as many people and that. So within, you know, interplanetary travel, you know, maybe it would be even more of a less of a prestige position, you know? See, I, a starship thought... is going from galaxy to galaxy and is doing the 
heavy lifting, really. Well, they don't go from galaxy to galaxy. The Sorry, within solar systems. I don't even know what the difference between any of these is. I, well, you need to go back and take astronomy, my friend. I um, tried to, and, it, it, and my professor was like, here's a bunch of numbers. Crunch them and do this experiment, and I couldn't figure out what it meant. That's what science is. Fuck science. Um, I do not endorse that viewpoint. I think, you know, to me, the spaceship versus starship thing, you know, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, yeah, yeah, but I yeah. think like, because it's not really important, but I, I, I kind of got the sense that, that spaceships are used for more sort of the grunt work and the starships are the ones that are like their capital ships. They're they're sent on the, the big missions where the Federation needs like a strong presence and spaceships are just sort of like, go to this planet and get us some dilithium yeah or whatever they don't they don't send enterprise on the fetch us some dilithium mission the enterprise doesn't get fetch quests spaceships get fetch fetch quests that's it i mean either way i mean it's very clear that yeah there's some there is a difference and starship captain is so much of a higher rank it's a different set of responsibilities yeah and so i think in that sense the episode does at least work a little bit because it does set this character Merrick up as someone who's not as strong in command as Kirk could, could not have. He, he, he did order his people down. He should not have done that. And he does redeem himself at the end of the episode, which again, I think is interesting because we have not touched yet on this, but and I don't know if you want to quite yet, but this I, the, early on in the episode, when the slaves are talking about the sun, the oh, sun, yeah. the sun, <laughs> and they all interpret that to be sun worshipers as in star worshipers. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the episode, it's revealed that they actually mean S-O-N, which is Jesus. And, you know, McCoy's like, well, they have the Roman Empire, so why wouldn't they have Jesus? And <laughs> so Merrick's sacrifice at the end can 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 almost be viewed as a sort of, not not a sacrifice on the level of, of, of Jesus, but it's a nice little symmetry there. And at the very end, they realize that, okay, maybe the civilization is going to slowly adopt some sort of space Christianity and become something else. Yeah. Anytime Star Trek does religion and it has touched on religion, it had, it's always extremely awkward because, you know, it's Yahura who does put it together, you know, and she's saying, you know, I've been monitoring and I figured it out, you know, and she's saying, you know, this is Christianity. And does everybody like Kirk especially gets this like, Oh, that it's going to be okay. You know, Christianity is going to be great. And there are so many problems with that, especially given how um, explicitly multicultural, you know, the Federation is, you know, even at this point. To suddenly have them treating the advent of Christianity in this society as an unabashedly good thing. Right. I'm not, I'm going to be very honest and say that. I can't 100% see this episode making slavery and the Empire bad enough as to – because, again, the slaves are shown to have rights. The ones that we meet who are not in the resistance seem to be treated fairly well. Yes, this is a very authoritative state, mm-hmm. and you know you go into gladiatorial combat you know, for the slightest thing, but – and that's all fine. I don't know. It's it, it goes either way. Be, all right, fine. No gladiatorial combat. All right. Well, this you know. The, well, it's 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 it, a, the, the, we have war in this in our society. It's, well, I think, it's implied that their society doesn't because it's all Rome. Right. Well, I think I think okay. If I can if I can sort of tease out what you're trying to say here, I think, um, in general, the the end of the episode. You're right. It is does kind of come out of left field. Where they're all sort of, you know, oh, okay. They're going to have worldwide Christianity. Everything will be fine. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll be devil's advocate here. Maybe they will be. Because a lot of what we saw as Christianity in its worst incarnations um, were when it was butting up against other religions, other faiths, yeah. other or the governments. If this entire planet is Christian, then that's not going to happen. And you could make the argument, I'm not necessarily making that argument, but you could make the argument that a Christianity that is purely based on the teachings of Jesus Christ, brotherly love, taking care of your neighbor, all of these things, and none of the, none of the sort of bad stuff that came into Christianity later, 
maybe that is good and maybe that would be a better thing if it did actually happen that way but i think but, uh, but this but, is but, a much this is a much more and this is a, the problem i have with a lot of these parallel earth and episodes yeah. in general is that they are way too simplistic and sort of adopt this idea that whatever culture is there is a monolith entity and nothing else is ever going to be there again. Yeah. I, I, I also want to add to this that, um, you know, within the context of this society, gladiatorial combat is a way of, you know, a slave can get to glory and it is kind of made clear that, you know, anybody who breaks an infraction is kind of treated within the, within this law. I, I don't get the sense that there's one law for slaves and one law for free people as far as, committing crimes goes and the way the early christians were treated during rome which was directly after jesus existed and therefore most directly based on his teachings they were martyred and tortured left and right i mean if you have an underground christian movement in this society they will be tortured Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. brought into the gladiatorial arena anyway so I – and that will – if you have this entire culture is based on this Roman Empire and then you have a resistance of Christians, then you are going to have essentially a terrorist group d- trying to bring down the government. Now, whether this government is good or bad is a different – is a conversation that would ought to be had before deciding to go on this rebellion. But I – I think the – episode does not make it clear enough whether the reward is worth the stakes yeah and i don't think that the episode makes it clear enough to what extent the average citizen of this planet believes in the roman gods right and i i don't they, and I, I think and that, yeah they don't they make it do they say like oh old gods or something like that like i get this you know they use you know the names of the gods but it's like you know one of you know we, we we name stuff after you know, gods or myths, you know, in our society, and it's just kind of seen as a, you know, cartoon character ma- mascot type thing. It's, yeah, they it's, they, it's they a... mentioned the 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 car ad, the Jupiter Eight, and they say like there's I don't know the television set and name the Saturn or something. I mean, yeah, yeah it's more symbolic kind of or you know to give a sense of you know yeah a metaphor and... than an actual. Yeah, and so there is the there is the implication there that the old gods of the Roman planet are not really. Uh, worshipped anymore and 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 maybe this planet doesn't really have religion which would be weird um yeah and there's there's a lot of different ways that could have gone too i mean you know i i I can see if this episode had been made uh as an episode of 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 a later star trek show you you may have had like an explicitly atheistic roman society and that would have been maybe more interesting than what we got again. Yeah, historically we had this religion, but you know we've grown out of that. You know, it's still part of our culture because you know they may have religious ceremonies that are just more cultural ceremonies than anything. And there's actually a really good episode of the Next Generation that deals with uh, the return of old religion, so you can look forward to that one in like seven years when we watch yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. There, there, there's one other thing I will say about this, and then maybe we should wrap this episode up because I think we've talked pretty much about everything that's interesting in this episode. But there, there is something that is there in regards to the the way in which the episode is is resolved, especially because mm. before we get all the the Son Jesus stuff, I don't know. And this is a problem, again, with just the scale of television in the 1960s, maybe the scale of television in general, and what it can convey. But I don't really get a sense of, you know, how popular these gladiatorial contests are, who is watching them. You know, how how does this government actually maintain control? And it would have to be fairly authoritarian. So... You know, and there's there's one epi- there's one thing in the very beginning of the episode which bothers me, and of course this is something that was just because it was '60s television, yeah. but uh, where where they're watching a, a, a news broadcast yeah. of, of the gladiatorial combat, and the, you know as the gladiator goes in for the killing blow, an overhand killing blow, and the guys on the ground, um, the camera like kind of pulls up a little bit so you can't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just kind of like, well, would a would a Roman civilization like that really? have the killing blow out of frame like no they wouldn't yeah no it would make more sense if they cut to like kirk wincing or something like that you know because yes you can't show in american television on star trek the killing blow but imply that they did show it and you know to show the character reaction that would have been an easier 
Yeah, yeah. Um, what I think is very interesting is that they explicitly make it – they show the announcer uh, pushing, like, the applause button or the you know, the boo buttons th- during the gladiatorial match. Like, it's very clear that it's canned, you know, applause. And part of that may have had to do with – you know, part of it was a meta TV joke, you know, just making fun of – you know, it, it, it's an amusing image to have a gladiatorial combat that's, you know, to, you know where, where the reaction is controlled like that. But one of the, the gladiatorial matches in Rome weren't held live just because they didn't have TV at that point. Like, the actual citizens liked seeing that. And that was, that was a thing. That was, you know, it was like going to a football game. And yeah, but I think— You would think that that wouldn't have gone away. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in that sense, that's just a budgetary thing. I mean, I, I thought that as well. I mean, this would have been more like a televised football game in a stadium. They just didn't have the budget for that. And yeah, so, but, but, but but there's a difference between that because you could have done that cleverly and not – they make a point of showing that it's canned applause. They could have just easily, I don't know, tricked and made a scene. You know, got in a couple dozen people and had a shot in the stands, you know, I think, in I the think, bleachers. I, I don't know that there's really much there to tease out. I just think it's, you know. He, I, you know, I, was, I, I'm not – I, I don't know if this means anything. It, it was an interesting image, the, and I'm not the, sure why it was there. The episode could have been 20 seconds short, and they needed to put something That's in there. That's fair. Okay. I mean, I don't think yeah, there's Yeah, someone just there. had a joke, and, you know. Yeah. It could just be, you know, Roddenberry thought it was hilarious, and Gino Kuhn couldn't convince him otherwise. Exactly, yeah. All right, is there anything else to say about Bread and Circuses? Uh, I never have to watch it. It, it. It's one of those notes, but not the music episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. You have everyone doing something, but it's just not... You have a planet that has an interesting premise... But you have, you know, you have all of these things, but it just doesn't gel into anything. That being said, there were a few, the implications of the episode in things like, you know, talking about the rights of slavery and the way that the emperor interacts with Kirk in, in this, you know, Jesus was on this planet thing, because that is an interesting concept as well. Like, you have all these concepts which in and of themselves are interesting, but they're never followed anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So this gets a five triples for me yeah that sounds about right i'll give it a five as well yeah it should have been better but it wasn't bad fair enough all right let's move on to our next episode and the last episode of the second season assignment earth so let me ask you this the finale for season one was operation annihilate and this is assignment earth so is like mission pluto going to be the third season finale no but it does have kind of a similar name structure (sighs) Do you think they did that on purpose? No, I don't think so. Do you think that they made this episode on purpose? Because it really seems like it just kind of happened when everybody was drunk. Oh, it was definitely made with a purpose. Oh. So let's get right into the backstory of Uh. Assignment Earth. Um, Roddenberry (laughs) wrote this script as a spec script, as a pilot episode for a new show, because he was very afraid that Star Trek was going to be canceled at the end of its second season. He was not going to have a show on the air, and he was not going to be working. So why, But why did he do a shitty one? Well, the thing- <laughs> that's, that's one of those just like, okay, well, this is your Hail Mary, and it's not very good. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry was not great. I'm, I'm just, you know. No, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I'm beginning to think that creating Star Trek was just a fluke. Some people. It kind of was, yeah. Some people just shit out a masterpiece, and that's what happened with Star Trek. And even, again, it wasn't until th- several episodes in the first season that it, Star Trek got good in the first place. Yeah, and this is a question we will revisit later on because we can talk about Roddenberry's involvement in Star Trek, the motion picture. And when we get to the next generation, we can talk about Roddenberry's direct control over the first couple seasons of that show and, you know, where the movies went once he lost control and where Star Trek, the next generation went once he lost direct control. Yeah. Cause I don't know what his exact job was, (laughs) but this episode is interesting because again, like I said, it was written as a, as a pilot spec script, for for a new show, it had nothing to do. the The original pilot episode did not mention Star Trek at all. None of the Star Trek characters appeared, and 
I don't think anyone wanted to make it and because it's it's not good, right? And it's like a half-assed uh Doctor Who type of thing. It's it's weird because but... like I can definitely see some Doctor Who in there yeah, although Yeah, he has although, a sonic screwdriver. Come although on. nobody in America would have seen Doctor Who at this point, so oh, of course. that's more of a 60s mind wave thing than anything else. See, I I but don't you think that Roddenberry would have seen Doctor Who? No, I don't. That's surprising. It's, I... It was it, it it was not on air here then, and it didn't start showing on television here. I think until the seventies, and it just it, I, it, British television wasn't really paid attention to in America at okay. that time. So no, I don't think he saw it. I I only ask you know just because a hey I created a you know science fiction show that's in America, you know no. somebody would have mentioned i don't know no because the thing is if you think about it um there weren't as many television channels back then mm-hmm. and the the television channels that most people could get that had the strongest signal were the broadcast networks and none of them were showing reruns of, of low-rent british yeah sci-fi but th- shows. Th- there was nobody from england who saw you know moved to america and start saw star trek and knew oh no definitely definitely that's people... what i mean like i think so i feel like somebody would have mentioned to it, it i don't know the if, if it, it, this is speculation, of course, you know, and if, we're if Roddenberry was aware of the existence of Doctor Who at this point or not, and maybe he was exi- aware of the existence of Doctor Who, I doubt he knew very much about it. And I doubt he had ever seen any footage from it, which cannot be said of British sci-fi watchers of the 60s, because the Star Trek was on the air there in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, there was there was more of a. There was much more of an American America sends things to Britain thing than Britain sends things. It's very different now. It's very yeah. different now, and that's all I can really say about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's 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 weird because it has a lot of elements that seem to be four or five years out of date because it seems like kind of an hour long sci-fi dramatic version of like Bewitched or something in a lot of ways. It's yeah. very wacky. It's very broad. And, of course, a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's a pilot episode, and a lot of pilot episodes are very broad. But it's it's as an episode of Star Trek, I don't know that we can really analyze it as an episode of Star Trek because, for all intents and purposes, Assignment Earth is not an episode of Star Trek. No, the Star Trek characters introduced the situation. I mean, the, the, the beginning of the episode might as well say, you know, we've traveled back in time for some damn reason, you know, and here's another show. That's essentially what Kirk's opening monologue says. And that was the interesting thing, right? Because there's there's a couple weird things here. I think you can talk about it on the production level where Roddenberry decided to turn this into an episode of Star Trek because he wanted to get it made to show networks which what, does happen you know all, absolutely yeah enough. i mean many many shows have had backdoor pilots um most notably um just recently the office made one um which isn't going to be picked up but they're turning into an episode of the office in a similar fashion to how this happened okay uh we're both fans of gilmore girls and there's an episode of gilmore yeah. girls in the third season i believe that was supposed to be a backdoor pilot to a With to a jess yeah. spinoff living in california which never happened because it was way too expensive to shoot there Golden Girls had two or three, mm-hmm. um, and I know like the Empty Nest one was completely redone when it was picked up for a show, right? Uh, so this does this crossovers does, anyway, yeah. So this does happen quite a bit, and uh, it, it's interesting because the ep- and the, the the also on the production side it's interesting, and then on the sort of Star Trek side it's interesting as well because I th- I want to say that this is really the only episode of Star Trek where time travel is portrayed as just something you do yeah like they 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 they're okay so let me ask one question before we get into this when was this aired because 1968 march march of 1968 okay because they say we've traveled back in time to 1968 to find out you know when everything went wrong you know went crazy you know and yeah, at one point spot- they say, you know, yeah, like a president was assassinated. And, you know, well, all they don't mis- say they don't say a president was assassinated. They say an assassination okay. occurred. Um, either way, like so this is I, I got the sense it was supposed to be like six months from the air date. Like, yeah, something so, like that. you know, so they were able to make up some events like obviously this missile launch at the end, you know, that takes place uh, up the last the end of the episode, you know, didn't really happen in real life. But there's there's was close enough to what was you know the technology is supposed to be the same there's there's some background stuff i mean i i read um i forget where i read this but you know when my background research for this um you know of course uh, uh mlk was assassinated i think in, in april or may of 1968 oh. and then rfk jr was assassinated yeah. a few months after that so you know that happened 
Uh, they did talk about. I mean, it was the '60s. To assume that a world leader would have been assassinated at that point in America was, you know, Kennedy had the president had been assassinated about five years before. You know, yeah. so that I mean, was it, on people's minds. It is a little strange that it did happen. You know, right almost a month or two later. It is a little weird. Yeah. Um, and then the rocket launch thing. Uh, someone was speculating that the Saturn, I think it was the Saturn five or Saturn seven rocket launch happened very briefly after that. And it actually went off course and crash landed. So yeah. there, you know, so, you know, I mean, people are looking to try and look into this to see if things actually happened or not. I'm not really so interested yeah. in whether or not this episode is prescient because you know, whatever, if a missile were about to launch a few months, you know, after it was written, you know, someone who would have researched that would have known that, you know? So yeah, yeah I'm sure it was not, you know, private information that, you know, well, in April, you know, this is going to happen. So, you know, extrapolating from stuff, that makes sense. Right. Um, but but I want to get back to this time travel thing, because I know that you had an issue with time travel in Where No Man Has Gone Before, I believe, where they were just sort of like, hey, we just invented time travel. And now here we are a year and a half later or whatever, and they're basically just sending sending ships yeah. on missions back in time, not even to do anything, just to sort of observe. And it's like, why don't you just pick up a book? Um, what, what are you doing? Well, keep uh, in mind that we've talked about this era of history and this was, you know, the, the, the eugenics wars happened in the nineties. And as we've said, like these were when the superhumans were first starting to be born or, you know, were a few years old at this point. So, you know, and they talk about how records from that time were spotty. So it is possible that, you know, just the 19, you know, they couldn't find any 1968 newspapers you yeah, know, or, they, or they wanted, you know, the newspapers said, you know, oh, there was a rocket launch and it, you know, exploded in midair. And, you know, obviously the real cause of that was lost to history. But but the but the way that they go back in time is just so tonally different than the rest of, of, of Star Trek and how it deals with time travel. It's never treated as a routine thing. It's never treated as just we're going to send ships back in time to, to go on missions. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And. I know that a lot of that has to do with the fact that this wasn't written as a Star Trek episode and they couldn't spend 10 minutes on yeah. the, the standard, oh my God, we, you know, slingshotted around the sun by accident and now we're back in 1968 and what are we going to do? Because they had 45 or 50 minutes of material that they wanted to yeah. get, even though they could have cut a lot of this out. Um, it's... You know, there's a lot of Kirk and Spock bumbling around on the planet. They don't ever do anything. That's it. Like, I couldn't tell what anyone was trying to do or why they were trying to do it. But I know... See, the fa the backdoor pilotness of it, I felt, hurt the episode a lot because there's a lot of business spent uh, trying to find out, well, is Mr. Seven evil or is he good? Well, if they're going to make a series about him, he's not going to be trying to destroy Earth, you know? So, obviously, he's good, so the entire mystery aspect of it and him equivocating, you know, and all of that is just bullshit because I it's a foregone conclusion. There's no tension there. Yeah, and the, 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 the concept for the show that would have been Assignment Earth was Roddenberry saying, well, aliens coming to Earth and, and messing things up is, is, is a trope. Um, I'm going to make a show where aliens come to Earth to help us. See, now, it would have been interesting to have a show that was set in the 50s with that thing. You know, let's say this is a character who travels back in time and is fixing historical things. Like, I got the sense that, like, he wanted to do one of those kind of shows, but... Well, I mean, you have to you have to look at it in terms yeah. of... You know, Star Trek was an expensive show to produce, and I think if, if it, had, it wasn't getting the ratings that it was supposed to be getting a show this expensive needed to have higher yes. ratings to, to sustain itself and as we see it eventually did get canceled in the next season and i think you know if you're looking at it in terms of a pure business decision on roddenberry's Fair. part um it's not going to make any sense for him to try and get employment and, and get a new show picked up by making it an expensive period drama but it, it didn't have to be too expensive i mean if you said it mostly in offices and you have it being you know human related issues i mean the the scene where he's dicking around on the star on the shuttle like scaffolding you know that's probably not the same amount of money it costs to make an office set you no, know i understand that but i mean i think you just need to look at but, it yeah. from roddenberry's point of view of where he's like i'm gonna get rid of every single reason why no one would pick this up and it's possible that he could have also have him had him travel time travel th from episode to episode you know this episode takes place in the 60s, but, you know, at the season finale, he goes back into World War II and, you know, 
whatever. Um, what what I've what I've read about the show is that it was supposed to be more of a James Bond sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So he has a, a he has a mission every week, and right. he and his wife's cracking secretary. And I will have to say, I liked the secretary because she was. I I love her outfit, and I think. I don't know. I I, I I I did did you realize who was playing her? That's I I I know I've seen her and I didn't pick up who it was. Terry Gar. Now she is who in like she's an actress. She's been in a bunch of stuff. I mean, I don't know what she's yeah. most well known for, but she's one of those actresses that everybody kind of knows. Yeah, like I think she played the role much better than that kind of a role would have been like I I, I think the I, I I like that she's a much more curious and competent character than anything else. Like when she sees Spock, for example, like her reaction isn't to freak out, but she's like, "What are you?" You know, she's you know having every, all the stuff that happens to her. She takes a lot of it more in stride than you would think of. Like she just seems more just interesting and interested and amused by everything, even though there are you know stressy you know, scary situations happening to her. She's figuring it out, you know, more than that. You know, she's interested enough to, you know, too much to be scared. You know, I like, I don't like when they have the fainty woman, dumb secretary character. They make her a bit more interesting than that. Yeah. Would this have just ended up being a, you know, sexual tension? You know, she's the wisecracking secretary. He's the mysterious, you know, alien. Of course. That's where it would have gone. They would have been this cat lady at the thing. And, you know, that would have been a thing. But I well, I, I thought that was a, maybe that was the same cat from Cat's Paw. I, oh, my God. Yeah, I was like, did, did I, I, I did an intern with the script for Star Trek, one with the script for James Bond, and one with the Cat's Paw script all, like, collide to each other? They, like, they, they actually uh, combined themselves in a transporter accident, and that's what happened. Yeah. Hmm. So the fly was a documentary then, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, I do. I, love I, how, do yeah. I do like, you know, the character that Gar plays. Like you, like you said, she is capable, and I think there's a lot that's interesting about her character because it's it's weird, right? Because this is supposed to be a show set in contemporary America, and so I think this is maybe the strong strongest example yet of of what Roddenberry thinks of that and how explicit he wants to be with it. Right. Yeah. Because she is dressed, you know, it's 1968 at this point. Like we are well into the sixties. Yeah. She's wearing that sort of psychedelic, like mini skirt outfit. Yeah. She's um, very much supposed to be a, you know, early twenties and just hip. Yeah. She's 20. Right. There's, I mean, it's interesting to look at it from the point of view from 40 years later, because she's 20, she can go to college. She's working as a secretary. Yeah. Um, but she's very smart. There's a thing where she's like, you're not going to blow up my country's rocket. And she yeah. Like, you know, holds out the little sonic screwdriver or whatever. But there's also, yeah, and they, really, also there's sorry, also, they also say that, you know, oh, you're, you know, they, they, he does it. He have like a file or something. And he said, you know, based on her. Oh, no, the computer it is, you know, in spite of her, you know, behavior, she's has a high IQ or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also that that line, I think, is what pretty much the most explicit that Star Trek ever gets mm. about. Uh, what was going on in 1960s America? She has that line where she's basically like, "This is why a lot of my, I a lot of people here. my age are protesting and doing all sorts of crazy stuff." You know? The exact line is, "That's why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels." Like her line reading of that was perfect. Like she just kind of like gets through the crazy and rebels bit because she is a little embarrassed by it. But you know, yeah, she's saying like things are really kind of not great and that's why we're doing this like yeah yeah but at the end of the day she is a good kid you know they the show likes her we're supposed to like her yeah i like her i i would not have watched this show well nobody would have and i can't imagine what this show would have looked like on a week-to-week basis i'm just sad that she only had one outfit in the episode because you know that the one of the things of the show would have been her ridiculous outfits. Like they would have put her in the most elaborate 60, you know, late sixties hip fashions, you know, every week. And they probably would have had several costume changes and there would have been the episode where she and he have to go in disguise and she's wearing this, you know, crazy dress, you know, and that would have been a thing. And the hell of it is, I don't think that this show would have made it either. No, because I think at this point, 
this type of television show was out of fashion, right? I mean, and you really get stuff like Charlie's Angels and you get stuff like that, which comes later. But those shows, I think, show a little more they're a little more aware of what they're doing and they're a little more explicitly supposed to be just sort of fun little light romps. Whereas I think this is a show and we know Roddenberry likes to take himself seriously. I think this would have been a show which on the surface appeared to be a sort of light frothy romp, but Roddenberry would have made it political political and let in and just sort of like i am telling you serious things about what is wrong with america or whatever and it would not have it would not have been very entertaining to watch that's the thing like part of this part of the charm of charlie's angels is that it's kind of coy about the fact that it knows that you're watching it because you know farrah fawcett was hot you know and you know yes she's a super you know it's a sexy super spy it's campy it's cheesy and because it's winking, you can have fun with it, and it doesn't, you know, this would not have allowed a, I want to say, healthy measure of objectification for the secretary character. And the, even the way the cat girl's treated at the end, like, she's, I, I don't know, the show doesn't necessarily make it okay for you to find them sexy. And, which is odd for a Star Trek episode, but I kind of get the sense that that, that was an ambivalence in the show. Yeah, yeah, I think so. that makes sense. No, it totally does make sense. I think there's a lot of ambivalence in this episode in general. Yeah. You know, I I don't know what this show would have looked like on a week-to-week basis. I literally cannot fathom it. I mean, it could have gone in so many different directions just based on what we see here in this 50 minutes. And I don't necessarily know that Roddenberry knew either because... He doesn't know what the... Mr. Seven has one minute he's super serious and mysterious. The other he is, you know... So uncareful that he just finds a random woman, assumes she's his contact, and tells her everything. Like, that's that's a very big thing. Like, and he even acknowledges that. Um, I mean, maybe that would have gotten worked out because, of course, in, in the pilot for Star Trek, we saw Spock smiling. And, you know, he was Yeah, 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 of course. So, you know, it doesn't really obvious. I assume when this series would have been picked up, you know, the first episode would have been he comes into work, you know, and his secretaries that, you know, like they already have a prior relationship um, they 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 could have hand waved that easily. It would you know you don't need to talk about how Yahura got her job. You know, and what a strange apartment, by the way. I thought you that apparently was... come directly into a living room, and then there's a huge bedroom that's like three times the size, and there's no kitchen and no bathroom. I thought that was an office. No, it was a, it was supposed to be an apartment. Oh, okay. Well. Even when she calls the police, she's like, "Come to apartment twelve oh. F or whatever." I, I missed that line. Like, I, yeah, I thought it was, you know, maybe an office in an apartment building or something like that, but... Well, it would have been an apartment, though. I mean, it was an office in an apartment building, hmm. but it would have been an apartment, like, for someone to live in. Yeah. It's just weird. I get it now. But it looked like Don Draper's apartment, so... Yeah. I kind of wanted to live in there. I, I kind of want to live into Don Draper's apartment. <laughs> I want to kind of live into Don Draper. hey And then I think the other thing, too, about the episode is that you've got um, the, the, the computer as a character. Oh and yeah, that would not have gone over well. I don't think either, because I think that would have gotten very tiresome. You got you have this sort of like, I don't know, just all these weird, disparate parts to this script that just don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And I, again, I just can't see how this would have worked on a week to week basis. Yeah, and the bit again where they find out that the cat's a woman, like that happens for about ten seconds at the very end, and it's like, oh, because the entire time he's talking back and forth with this cat, and it's kind of funny because it's like, okay, is he just? making up answers of this cat or like is somebody you know is his control speaking through the cat is the cat like super intelligent and he understands it's meowing like it goes in you know one of several ways but then it applies that you know it's been a woman this whole time and you know it just appears and it's like and that's weird and who is this person yeah like there is one great line that Gary Seven has where, you know, he says, oh, that's a trained, that's a trained cat. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I did like that line. I do also like that they keep with Spock loving furry animals because, you know, they have at one point he's just petting the cat and, you know, Kirk comments on it. And he's just like, you know, Spock is always just anytime there's an animal, he's just petting it and blissed out because of it. Like. He loves fur. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, any of the any of the Kirk and Spock moments in this episode are great because they're just so few of them that you really want more. And 
you know, there's really nothing else. I don't think that there's really anything else to, to really say about this episode, at least yeah. in the pilot basis. But if you want to look at it as a Star Trek episode, maybe this was just Kirk and Spock having a week off. <laughs> <laughs> like they were just taking it easy and figuring, eh, it'll work itself out. Yeah, they only vaguely care about what's happening in the episode. Yeah, they just seem to be like there's that whole ending part where they're <laughs> trying to blow up the rocket and they're just sort of standing there and then they eventually do something. But it's like, if you guys were really worried about this, you probably would have tried to escape a little bit sooner. Yeah, and it's like the entire time it's Seven's fault that, you know, like at the very, they only let him go when he's, you know, says to her like, oh, that's on kill. Like, you know, don't, don't, don't play around with that. And, you know, that kind of tells to Kirk like, okay, if he was evil, he wouldn't have, you know, she could have very easily accidentally stopped us, you know, and he kind of made sure that if they, if he had said opened his damn mouth earlier and said, "Look, here's my issue. Like, here's why." You know? Right, right. But yeah, then there would have been no episode. It just it was a thing. It was forty five minutes of fifty mu- minutes. It was. I had a moment at one point. I'm like, "All right, this is about to end." I looked. I'm like, "Fuck, there's fifteen minutes left. Like, still, how? Like, they had to blow up the rocket." <sighs> And, and they the had, world. like, this 20-minute sequence where they're just showing the rocket from all these angles. And it's like people hadn't seen a rocket at that point. I mean, I guess it's in full color. You know, like, that's the thing. I don't know. Hey, we watch these episodes, so you don't have to, people. <laughs> so how many triples would you give this one? I would, I would give it one green cube and one cat with a diamond collar that's also a lady and one orange and purple dress. I'm going to give this two scores because I think this episode really needs to be viewed as two separate episodes. That's fair. As an episode of Star Trek, it's like a two. As a pilot for a show, I'll give it a three. Oh, good. So you would rather see this at... I I, I don't even know where to go with it. All I know is I loved Spock's... I bet they're going to have many fascinating adventures. And I said, you know something... They're not because no one is in their right mind is going to pick this shit up. I think I've seen, I think this is the second time I've ever seen this episode because the first time I watched it, I was like, I never want to see that again. There's no reason to watch it. Kind of like Cat's Ball. Again, I had that moment once they cut off the ship and, you know, they had him going into his office. I said, Oh, this is a pilot. And then I, again, I was, this week has been just a thing of realizing and acceptance. Like, I'm just going to. I am lying back and thinking of England for the rest of this series. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, next week we are going to delve into the third season. We're just going to dive right in. Fly back and think of England. Pretty much. Uh, And we start out with Spock's brain and the Enterprise incident. So we'll see you then.